turn in your copy of Scripture, Romans chapter 15. We're going to, next week we begin a series called Restoration. We're going to look through the book of Joel and see how that God makes all things new. And it's going to be a great journey. Uh, But between here and there, I wanted us to kind of emphasize again this idea of hope. Uh, Last week, we talked a lot about hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We read together uh, in worship, and uh, I quoted again 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has uh, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I wanted us to come back and see how we can live in that hope every day. Now, you're probably already there, but let me go ahead and, and just as an aside, this is, uh, this is free. I read a statistic today that concerned me, and I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to address it with our church family. Now, the statistic I read today was that 51% of evangelical Christians, or people who uh, say they are evangelical Christians, that means you're a Bible-believing, gospel-believing follower of Jesus. I, I don't know if they do a good job on identifying an evangelical Christian on those surveys, but 50, uh, 51% of evangelical Christians did not know what the Great Commission was. And of the 49% who said they knew what the Great Commission was, uh, 24% of them, uh, it just rings a bell. Another 6% couldn't describe anything about the Great Commission. Now, the reason, the reason that struck me as important is because um, the Great Commission was given to the church so that the church would know what the church is supposed to be doing until Jesus comes again. So, so I, 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 want, I, I know that you come here and there are a lot of things that you say, well, this church ought to be. And this church ought to do, and this church ought to do again. And, and there are expectations that we have on, uh, about church and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine for you and for me to have those expectations. But when Jesus gives us our marching orders, if we fail to do his marching orders, then we fail to be the church. No matter how many other of these little things that you and I think we ought to do, if we're not doing what Jesus has told us to do, then we are not the church. We're an organization of people getting together to do some good stuff or do stuff and make us feel good. So I wanted us to be sure, I want everybody here and online, I want you to hear what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is the marching orders for the church in the 21st century. The Great Commission is what Jesus has given us to do. So if somebody comes up to you and says, well, what is First Norfolk all about? You might not be able to say the vision or the mission or the purpose statement, but here's what you can say. Well, the Great Commission is what we're all about. The reason we do what we do and the reason, and, and the reason we do it the way we do it is because of the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of the throne of God. He's been raised from the dead. He's meeting with his disciples. He's giving them their marching orders. So Matthew 28 is, those, is the marching orders that he's given. Matthew 28, begin verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, based upon his authority, therefore, as you go, make disciples 
of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Somebody comes up and says, what's First Norfolk about? We're about the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? We are to make disciples of everybody. That's the Great Commission. And one of the ways that we uh, fulfill the Great Commission is what we're doing today. And that's what this message is about today. The message today is how that you and I, as followers of Jesus, can take hold and live in the hope that we proclaimed last week. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of enemies to hope that you and I face. There are enemies to hope. A, a, a spouse is deployed for six to eight months. That's an enemy to hope. You lose your job next week. That's an enemy to hope. You incur a, an illness in your body. That's an enemy to hope. There are a lot of enemies to hope that we face and we have to deal with as followers of Jesus. So again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should not uh, be uh, realistic about the problems. Now, here's the thing. I'm an optimist by nature. And, and uh, I don't see how a person could be a pastor of a church without being an optimist by nature. I, I just don't see it. I don't see how that's possible. But if you were to come up to me and you were to show me a glass and there were, uh, it, it's a six inch tall glass and there's uh, two inches in that glass and you were to say, what do you think about that glass? I'd say, man, that's a great, that's, that's a great glass. It's got, it, it's, it's almost full. That's an optimist by nature. Now, a realist by nature is going to take a ruler, is going to measure that. And you say, well, it is two inches out of six inches. That means it is not halfway full. It, it's, it's two out of six. That's one-third full. That, that does not compute as majority full. So you, Mr. Optimist, you may say, well, there's a, plenty of water in that glass, but let me tell you the truth about it. A realist is going to say it's, it's uh, 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 one-third full. A pessimist is going to see that. And he's going to say, well, it just proves my point. Everything's terrible. <laughs> right? And, and again, God made us, he wired us different ways. And some of us are optimists, some of us are pessimists, and some of us are realists. As an optimist, I need realists in my life to help me see the way things are, but I survive pessimists. Pessimists, uh, you need realists to help you see the way things are, and you survive optimists. When we talk about living in hope, we're not talking about your Enneagram number. We're not talking about Myers-Briggs uh, Myers profiling. We're not talking about your personality. We're talking about the grace that God has given us to live each day with confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm, even though the glass is one-third full. Okay? That's the biblical definition of hope. So I want you to grab this, and you're going to hear it over and over again. The biblical definition of hope is confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm about what is to come. Hope is 
biblical hope, the hope that the Bible talks about, the living hope that we talked about last week in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the, the hope that you and I are supposed to be living in each day is confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm about what is and what is to be. Is that how you're living your life? Is that how I'm living my life? Again, the enemies of hope would shout against confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm about what is to be. Everything in your life may be screaming down hope. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be confidently expectant. Don't have courageous enthusiasm. Now, again, I'm not talking about being optimistic. I'm saying you see that the glass is one-third full and you still have confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm. Is that how we live our lives? As followers of Jesus, we must. Honestly, and, and again, if we believe the gospel that we celebrated last week, then we must live in hope every day. Well, you say, well, that's just not the way the world works. Exactly. That is exactly right. It is not how the world works, but you are not of this world. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Yeah, it's how the world works, but you're not of the world, neither am I. So how do we live in hope every day? Well, that's why we're going to look at Romans 15, 12, and 13. The Apostle Paul has been taking the Roman believers and us on a journey through this letter. If you were to start in Romans chapter 1 and read to Romans chapter 3, 1 through 3 tells us that in our sin we have no hope. Because of our sin, we're separated from God and there is no hope for us. We are literally dead. The, 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 all of us have sinned and we're all dead because of our sins. Separated from God means separated from hope. And that's the way the world operates. Beginning in uh, Romans 3.21 all the way through chapter 4, 5, and 6, Paul shifts the discussion. In chapters, uh, in 3.21 and chapter 4, he says, hey, listen, um, God saw that without him you were hopeless, but Jesus came to make you fit for God's family through his death on the cross. So that when you believe on Jesus, you are made right in the sight of God. He calls it justification by faith. In chapter 5, he says, now that we have been justified by faith, we can live in the hope of the glory of, gl glory of God. Even in the face of tough times. We'll come back to Romans 5 in a second. In uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, he says, now let me tell you what living in hope looks like. And if you don't read Romans chapter 8 at least once a week or at the very minimum once a month, you're missing out. Romans chapter 8, here, here's why we can live with a confident expectation and a courageous enthusiasm about what is and what is to be. Romans 8, 1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus who are walking not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do is weaken the flesh. God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He goes on at the end of Romans chapter 8, he says, I'm convinced that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. In fact, he goes on, he says, we are more than conquerors through Christ who dwells in us. Listen, hey, listen, hey, listen, we have hope. We have a confident expectation, courageous enthusiasm, not because of what we do or what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, Paul says, Israel's without hope because they're separated from God by their sin. They need Jesus. Then in Romans chapter 12, he says, now let me conclude this letter and and lead you on a journey of how to live in hope and why that's important. Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Yet, listen, here's the turn. If we're going to say we worship God, then we must worship him in this hope that he's given us. A confident expectation, a courageous enthusiasm for what is and what will be. And now at the end of the letter, Romans 15, Paul says, okay, I'm going to close this out. I'm going to give you some exhortations. I'm going I'm, I'm to lay down some, some, uh, uh, some uh, Twitter truth. I'm going to let you see a Twitter truth, Twitter, uh, 240 characters. You know, he, he said, I'm going to give you some verses, and these verses are, 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 are packed with truth. And that's what 12 and 13 do. In Romans 15, verses 12 and 13, uh, Paul writes, and again, Isaiah says. Now, here's what Paul is doing. Paul's favorite prophet of the Old Testament was Isaiah because Isaiah was a prophet who preeminently pointed to Jesus. And so, Paul quoted Isaiah more than any other prophet of the Old Testament. So, he says, Isaiah says, there shall, be, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look at this passage, I know that that we sang a lot about hope last week. And, and, and as followers of Jesus, we know that living with a confident expectation and courageous uh, enthusiasm about what is and what will be, that we know innately, and we know because we're followers of Jesus, that that's the way we should live. But we also understand that the enemies of hope can shout loudly our way. Uh, we know that something as simple as a hangnail can rob us of hope for tomorrow. I, I'm not really making fun of it. It just is. Now, we, we get so bent around the axle. I read a, a, an article, uh, this uh, uh, family in California uh, were living in a house, and during the wintertime, they heard noises under the house, and, and uh, it was like somebody was snoring, and and. And they were like, well, you know, and they talked to the neighbors. The neighbors said, well, we don't hear it. And, and so they let it go until springtime. In springtime, they uh, saw a mama bear coming out from underneath their house. They called the 
bear rescue people. And the bear rescue people came. There were four other cubs underneath that house. I'm sorry. Uh, that would freak me out. We, we, had, we had an encounter, not with a bear, but with a skunk one time. Not in our house, but at one of our daughter's houses. Her name's Emily Catherine. She's sitting right over here. And uh, when she was away at college, a, a skunk came in their basement. And so this is a house shared by all these uh, wonderful young ladies and a skunks in the basement. And they kill the skunk. Of course, when you kill a skunk in a particular way, there's something that happens. I mean, every stitch of clothing, everything in that house saturated with skunk smell. There's no way, there's no way for me to describe to you what that is. You just have to experience it. And that was a robber of hope. I mean, it was. It, it threw everything in a tailspin. In our house, it could be something as simple as a dishwasher going out or the battery in a car not starting. It can, it can rob you of hope. So I understand all these enemies of hope come our way, and they come knocking at our door. And the question is, do we still live with a confident expectation, a courageous enthusiasm about what is and what will be, even when those things threaten to rob us of hope? And in order for us to have a constant supply of hope and to live with confident expectation and contagious enthusiasm, even courageous enthusiasm, even when everything around us says no to it, we need to have a good source. And um, I, I don't know if you know this, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a, I have a granddaughter, her name is Nora. Um, that's all there is I need to say about that. But I'm also a fisherman said this like I love to fish. Now, being a freshwater fisherman means that I need to pay attention to what the water levels are doing in streams across the nation. And I mean across the nation. Just this past week, I checked on the snowpack in southwest Montana because the bigger the snowpack, the more the water will flow during the summertime in the streams or the rivers that I like to fish out in southwest Montana. So this past week, there's 85% uh, snowpack, which is not great, uh, but it's better than it was last year. Um, go up a little bit further north in, the, in another part of Montana, it's 110% snowpack. So we're, you know, I mean, but that's important. Water flow is important for fishing. Um, water's, water flow is important in other things as well. There's a river called the Colorado River. Y'all know the Colorado River in southwest from part of the United States. Colorado River uh, flows from Colorado even down into Mexico. I don't know if you know this, but the Colorado River since 1922 has provided water for seven states. Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, California, and uh, Arizona. Uh, Colorado River provides water for over 40 million people every year. That's a lot of water. They estimate that it takes, um, I'm, this coming off the top of it, but, but around 3,000 acres of water to provide for three families in a one-year one period of time. Uh, they know that if they're going to provide all the water that is needed for all those seven states, that they need 14 million acres of water every year. 
The problem is the Colorado River is shrinking. High drought has soaked up a lot of the water flow. There are two main reservoirs, Lake Mal, uh, Lake Mead and Lake Powell. And if you were to drive by Lake Mead or Lake Powell, you would see that they are uh, dozens of feet below normal. The source is shrinking. Now that makes everybody freak, freak out in the southwestern part of the United States because their water comes from the Colorado River and the uh, reservoirs that hold the Colorado River. So they start freak, they freak out. There is an estimate that even though it takes 14 million acres of water to provide for all the seven states in a given year, that there will only be uh, at best 9 million acres. Now, what that means is that's a lot of acres that's not available. Well, what are you going to do? The problem, not having a good supply of water, the problem is that the source is depleting. It's drying up. And that's our problem when it comes to hope, even as followers of Jesus. We're looking for a source to give us hope that dries up. We're looking to our job, that's going to give me hope, or our, our money, that's going to give me hope, or our, uh, our relationships, that's going to give me hope. But none of those things can give us the hope that we need to have confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm every single day, even in the bad days. So if we're going to have hope every day, if we're going to live with confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm every single day of our lives as we're supposed to as followers of Jesus, then we need to understand the source of hope. If we want a never-ending supply of hope, then our source of hope must be God. In Romans 15, 13, Paul says, now may the God of hope. It's not the only place he calls God the God of hope, but it is Certainly here that he's saying the source and the supplier of hope is God himself. You want hope in your marriage, it comes from God. You want hope in your job, it comes from God. You want hope when your job disappears, it comes from God. You want hope when finances are good, it comes from God. You want hope when finances are bad, it comes from God. You want a confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm in high, high notes and low notes, in good times and bad, then it comes from God. God is the only unending supply of hope there is. The only way you and I can have an endless supply of hope is when we go to the source of hope, who is God? He is the God of hope. So today, here's the question, am I looking to God to give me the hope in my life, in my everyday life, in my circumstances, in my everyday circumstances, in my relationships, at school, at home, at work, at play, am I looking to God to give me that hope? He is the only endless supply. He is the source of hope. God is the source of hope, but we also discover that the deliverer of hope is Jesus. This is the gospel, by the way. The gospel says that without God, you are hopeless in this world. All humanity separated from God by sin 
is hopeless. So God sent Jesus to rescue us, to make us fit for God's family so that we might have hope. That's why Paul in verse 12 points to Jesus. He says, Jesus is the one who will come and he will fix the problem of sin through his own death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead so that you and I through faith in him might have hope. Now friends, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're counting on hope to come from your efforts or your relationships or your job, then you are living a life that is robbed of hope. But if you will go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you just get me to God, and I'll have hope. And Jesus, who is our advocate and our high priest right now, intercedes for us as an advocate for us before the throne of God, and he brings us into God's presence, and he takes us to the endless supply of hope. And this is what happened when you became a follower of Jesus. And this is where Romans 5 comes in. And, and, and just turn over a couple of pair, uh, pages back to Romans chapter 5. Just want to read verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is the story of how you get hold of the hope that God provides. It says, therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been made fit for God's family. And it is through Jesus Christ we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we've got, we've been justified So we have peace with God, and we have access into God's presence, and we have joy in hope. goes on, not only that. So it's not only what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. When you enter into a relationship with God, you have peace with God, and you rejoice in uh, with confident expectation and courageous enthusiasm of the way things will be in eternity. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, and heaven is a place I want to be when, I'm, when, when I pass through this earthly toil and into eternity. I'll be in the presence of God. I have, I, I have great joy. I have peace with God and have great joy in that glorious hope that is before me. But Romans 5 says, and not only that. So it's not just joy in heaven, it's joy in our everyday life as followers of Jesus. Uh, so, so listen, he says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Tribulation means a tight spot, trouble. It means uh, 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 the bank's coming after your property. It's uh, uh, you have been diagnosed with cancer. It is um, you have a teenager and, and enough said. Um, <laughs> I, love, I, I loved having teenagers. I mean, amen. I, I loved having teenagers. Uh, but uh, not only that, we glory in tribulation. Tribulation is any form of trouble. It's a tight spot that you're in. It's a relationship that's not working. It, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a tight spot. It's a job that's disappearing, downsizing, or just getting fired. It's a tight spot. Not only that, but we glory, we glory 
in tribulation. Why would you glory in tribulation and trouble? Here's why. We know that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces, what's the word? What's the word? Character produces hope. Now here, listen to this. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope doesn't dry up. The hope that Jesus delivers to us doesn't dry up because it's coming from an endless supply. You want hope in everyday life, in troubles, in tribulations, in difficulties, in dangers? You want, you want hope? That hope doesn't come because you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you say, I've got a handle on this life. Now, that hope comes not in yourself, not even in the people around you. That hope comes from God. And you're walking with Him. We can have confident expectation, courageous enthusiasm about the way things are because we have Jesus and he's connected us to an endless supply of hope in the person of God. We have the source of hope and the deliverer of hope. We also have the abundance of hope. You see, Paul goes on in Romans 15. He says, hey, listen. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking the God of hope uh, to um, give you all joy and peace in believing so that hope might abound in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead who operates in our lives in, in a very intimate and personal way to open our eyes to see the hope that God has provided for us in Christ every single day. It is this work of the Holy Spirit that that is awakened in us when we are believing in Jesus. To believe in Jesus means I trust him. It means I give him my life, the good and the bad. It means that I give him my life every day, even in those difficult days when I think, man, if I'm going to make it, I need to take control of my life back. Big mistake. In the greatest uh, problem times of my life, that's when I said, all right, right, God, I I can't wait on you. I've got to take care of this myself. So I put my hand to the issue. Big mistake. I need to say, God, I have hope. I have confident expectation, courageous enthusiasm that you're working on this. That only happens when the Holy Spirit of God opens my eyes to see God's daily work on my behalf, even in those difficult days. You're having difficult times? Stop looking to yourself. Don't look to YouTube or uh, TikTok or Instagram to give you an answer to your troubling times. You're not going to find hope there. You're going to find hope when you turn to the Spirit of God and say, oh, Spirit of God, open my eyes to see what God is doing in this moment. You know, again, Romans chapter 8, all things work together for the good to those who uh, love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I believe that verse. The all things that God is working for the good come when we submit ourselves in hope to what God is doing, even in the bad things. The things we say, oh, I don't want to go through this. My goodness, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to walk 
down this path. Oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I have to endure this. But, but what the Spirit of God does, he says, okay, I know this is tough, but let me open your eyes. Let me help you see. The God of hope is working for your good. And it's in that trust of Jesus that opens our eyes The Spirit of God begins to operate, and the result for us is both joy and peace. Even when circumstances stink, like a slimy skunk in a basement, we have this source of hope, and the deliverer of hope is Jesus, and and the abundance of hope comes through the Spirit of God, God's power at work in our life, But, but even that, Tomorrow morning, or maybe even this afternoon, you're going to have a hard time holding hope. And that, that's, that's the battle we have. See, um, emotionally, um, mentally, even physically, you're going to struggle with the bad things that are happening or the troubles that come your way or the distractions of good things that might derail you from looking to God as your source of hope. And, and you're going to um, uh, maybe... Maybe look at the glass and say it is one-third full or one-third empty, and it is terrible, and there's no hope. That's the way the world operates, but that's not how we operate as followers of Jesus. We have a living hope. So how do we hold that hope that he provides? How do we, how do we hold this hope? That Jesus died and was raised from the dead to give us and poured out his spirit so that we might live in it. How do we hold that hope? I want you to look up to Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have, what's the word? Hope. Can I humbly suggest that if you're living as a follower of Jesus in a hopeless life and you don't see that there's anything to be confident about and your enthusiasm has waned long ago, that maybe, just maybe, it's because you're not taking time to hear the voice of God through the word of God speak to your soul, the comfort and the endurance that you need. See, we all need God's Word. And you might say, well, you know, Eric, that, I, I just, it, again, I, I, I don't know how that's going to work. I, you're saying that if I take time to read the Bible, that somehow I'm going to have hope for the day? I'm gonna, if I take time to read the Bible, that, that somehow the Spirit of God is going to open my eyes and I'm going to look at my terrible circumstances and I'm going to look at those terrible circumstances. I'm going to have a confident expectation and a courageous enthusiasm in the face of it. You're telling me that's how it's going to work. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know what to tell you. Just what the Bible says. And the Bible says yes. And it may seem simplistic, but I can tell you this. When I got my eyes off the word of God, I lived in deep despair. Crumbled life in a crumbled circumstance because I was not living for the glory of God. 
But as I immerse myself in God's word every day, even in the face of crumbling life and crumbling circumstances, I can have hope because God opens my eyes by his Holy Spirit to see the promise of his provision every single day. Yeah, I, I am saying. Now, so, man, go, go see your counselor. Your Christian counselor can help you with a lot of other things, how your mind is wired and how your emotions are mangled. And, and I encourage you to do that. I beg you to do that. Some of y'all, I beg you to do that. I really do. It, it, it's important. It's essential. I, I, but, but going to see your counselor is no replacement for immersing yourself in the Word of God. In fact, I would say even if you go to your counselor, your Christian counselor, and they lead you on a path to untangle the map of your mind, which they will do. If you're still not immersed in God's word, you're, you're not going to have the hope that, that Jesus wants you to have. See, you're, you're, the source of hope can't even be the therapy that you're going through. Source of hope is found in God. And God speaks through his word to you and to me, individually and personally and powerfully. So today, I, I just want to I, I close with this. And, and really, it, it's just begging you to join me on this journey of living in hope every day. I'm not asking you to change your Enneagram number or your wing. I'm not asking you to try to uh, reform your personality profile. I'm not asking about any. I mean, be the pessimist God made you to be. Seriously. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not joking about it. I'm serious. Be the pessimist God made you to be as long as you're living in the hope that he's given You see, there is no greater detriment in our world today. There's no greater detriment to the church fulfilling her mission of making disciples than a group full of people calling themselves Christians living in hopelessness and despair. You are not without hope because you have God. So I'm asking you, I'm begging you to take the word of God and allow it to soak your soul so that you and I, so that we might live in hope. Have a confident expectation and a courageous enthusiasm for what is and what is coming. This is the will of God for you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Even now, I know that some of y'all are struggling with the words that have been shared today. And, and I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to load you up with something that's beyond your ability to navigate or manage but I do want to challenge you that it is not up to you to manage or navigate your life, but rather it is to be a living sacrifice to God, to lay yourself on the altar before Him so that He might take your life and infuse hope and give you the hope that you need to face today. See, if we really do believe the gospel, if we really do believe that Jesus died for our sin upon a cross and was raised from the dead to give us new life so that we might be fit for God's family. And when we place our faith in Jesus, he brings us into God's family so we live in immediate intimacy with God. If we really do believe the gospel, 
then we will live in hope. Doesn't mean there won't be a struggle. I know it will. It's a struggle for me. But we allow the Spirit of God, we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God to open our eyes, even when it's hard for our eyes to be open. We, just, we don't just relinquish ourselves to hopelessness, but rather we walk a supernatural journey as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God, with our minds and our hearts nourished with the Word of God. Because of Jesus Christ who has brought us to God, we immerse our lives into the reservoir, the endless supply of God's hope. So today... As followers of Jesus, I'm just asking you to believe the gospel and to live it. We sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And the question is, do we really believe that? That we can stand on Jesus as a solid rock that doesn't shift or move. We can depend upon him. So this morning in these next few moments, I just want to encourage you as we sing together our songs of praise. Perhaps there are some points of commitment that you need to make. Maybe you need to commit yourself to read God's Word every day. Or maybe, maybe you've been giving yourself over to hopelessness, thinking that that's just the way your life ha- has to be. And today God opens your eyes to see, no, you're a follower of mine. I give you hope. Now, however God moves in your heart in these next few moments as we sing together, really what we're doing is we're declaring again that the gospel has changed our lives. And we believe it. We're not going to walk around in hopelessness and despair. We're not going to walk around in shame or condemnation. Jesus has fixed all that for us. So now, Father, in these next few moments as we worship you together, draw us to live in the hope that you've given as we believe the gospel that has rescued us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.